calling out to the Atascacita community. It's time for your Atascacita Library advanced copy. Get your notes and news now. Hello, Atascacita community. It is October 16th, 2021. Welcome to your advanced copy. This time we are enjoying the spooky season. Yes, that's right. Halloween is coming up and we celebrate it with a lot of flair at Atascacita Branch Library. You may have noticed it is Bobtober. Yes, Bob is back and he's having a lot of fun around the library, including exploring a lot of things going on with our construction. Update with construction so far, we've got a lot of progress on the parking and some of the pipes are going in for the restrooms associated with the new meeting room. So be sure to stop by, take care in that parking lot. It's really narrow there at the curve, but the library is still open Monday through Thursday, 10 to 6, Fridays 1 to 6, and Saturdays 10 to 5. All our programming is currently online, but we have Craft2Go kits and some of our crafting kits tie into those programs. So be sure to check everything out at hcpl.net and look for the events there at Atascacita Branch Library. With this Halloween season, using our library voices, the Harris County Public Library podcast did their spooky special, and I encourage you to visit their podcast. It came out earlier this month. For our own spooky special for this October 16th program, we're going to talk about the history of horror in books and cinema, as well as modern horror. The noted book, considered the first of the gothic genre, which is pretty much the ancestor of the horror genre, was by Horace Walpole called The Castle of Otranto, and that was published in 1765. So that was kind of the kickoff of the whole gothic horror genre. If you think about it, if you go back way back into folklore, those stories were pretty scary. I mean, Cinderella's sisters were cutting off their toes and their heels in order to have their feet fit in that shoe. That's not exactly a friendly type of story. We had Little Red Riding Hood eaten by the wolf. Folk tales used to be pretty dark and were meant to actually scare children into good behavior. So the Castle of Otranto was actually made into a 1977 Czechoslovakian animated short film by director Jan Svankmeyer, and I apologize for mispronouncing that name. Now, the next book is probably one of the most famous, and that's Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus. It was published in 1818. Prometheus is a reference to the Greek god who gave humanity fire and then was punished for doing so. This is really a play on humanity touching with perhaps gifts that were reserved for the gods. So Frankenstein is the scientist, doctor, not the creation, who goes unnamed but says of himself, I ought to be thy Adam. And so he is referred to frequently as Adam, though he was actually never named in the story. 
there are 73 films or short films that include a focus on Frankenstein, such as The Curse of Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and of course, who could forget, Young Frankenstein, or as he would like to pronounce it, Frankenstein. Frankenstein's creation, Adam, was actually very learned. He was monsterified. The thinking of that is that he wouldn't be exceptionally frightening on film. Moving on from Frankenstein, we have Edgar Allan Poe. Poe's Telltale Heart is probably one of the most popular of his stories. It was published in 1843. There are 14 movies based on the story, including the 1934 British drama film directed by Brian Desmond Hurst. It is the earliest known talkie film adaptation of the story. The next of the gothic tales to touch on is The Turn of the Screw by Henry James, and it was published in 1898. Now, this story took a little more of a horror bent to it as it was adapted for films across the years. I will admit The Turn of the Screw is not one of my favorite stories, but it does have that gothic feel. It's um, later in the gothic era, right as we're starting to move into movies, and that genre takes a different, it's like a slight turn. So let's take a moment to visit with staff and talk about historical and modern horror genre. And is it the element of fear or is it the element of the supernatural that really makes it scary? Hi, I'm Darla. And I'm Kimberly. And Beth here. And we're going to talk about some horror, historical, and modern. And specifically, we're going to touch on Stephen King because... How do you not? We're a library. We're also going to talk about Edgar Allan Poe and Darla. My understanding is you had quite a thing for Edgar Allan Poe. I don't really remember how old I was. I was probably tween, tween to middle school age when I discovered Poe. And just, I think it was just a strange romantic attachment to Poe in his works. I started reading them and reading about his life. At one point we went on vacation and we're, we, I went to his graveside and went to his house. And I think I went to several, two of his different houses, I think. And my parents were very tolerant and, you know, were like, hey, where do you want to go when we're in town? And I was like, I want to go to Edgar Allan Poe's grave. And so, and I'm looking back, I think it was just the romanticism of things like Annabelle Lee, I don't know if it's just the horror aspect. I love the Telltale Heart. I love the Cask of Amontillado. I, hopefully I pronounced that correctly. I was just very attracted to strange things. When I was a kid growing up, when I was literally a baby, my mother and my siblings watched the TV show Dark Shadows. And so I was around it. I don't know if I watched it because I was like a baby and a toddler. Years later, I was very attracted to things like that. We were talking earlier about Turn of the Screw. There's a whole storyline arc in Dark Shadows that is a take on Turn of the Screw. And then I read the book and was like, mm, meh, Dark Shadows kind of did it better. But, um, but I became, became very obsessed with Poe and his life. 
and the tragedy. And I think it's just kind of a little weird tween darkness obsession that I had. So I have to ask, was it because Poe married like a 13 year old? (laughs) You know, being like 10, I mean, because I probably was a tween at the time. I don't know if I thought about that. Or even if, like, the you know, the biographies I read, because they were probably from our school library, or... Uh, they probably I'm, did not mention that part. Probably did not mention that part, although there was a book... I have ever heard that before. Although there was a book I read in middle school that was about, called The Poe Papers, which was about this um, archivist looking for these lost writings of Edgar Allan Poe. And I remember, I checked it out of the Octavia Fields Library from the adult section, not realizing there was probably a reason why it was in the adult section, but I read it and didn't understand it. It went completely over my head. And then maybe 20 years later, I was thinking about the book, and I was like, oh, that's what that was. Yeah. Poe so, had a very, very kind of sad tale, but I think he would have had a very different reception in our modern sensibilities. It, it was definitely mm-hmm. a different time, a different uh, social norm. And a lot of his work dug really deeply into psychology, which was not something that was broadly studied. And if it, you know, this, we're talking about, you know, Telltale Heart coming out in 1843. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting to me, the idea of, of a young person seeing the romantic elements of it and being able to draw those out. And as an adult going back and seeing, you know, there was a lot more he was doing there yes. and, and seeing that later. There was a lot that I probably didn't really understand. And my parents had no objection to it because it was a classic. She's reading the classics. That's no problem. You know, you're burying a dude under the floorboard. They did, They. I think they were like, oh, she's reading poetry. And I'm like, but it was just, I like I said, I was a very dark child. I remember reading Shirley Jackson's The Lottery and loving it and reading... Um, I think I went into like I, that was Poe was kind of my Poe emo phase. Um, when I was like ten, although I was very also very well obsessed with evil children and thinking that I was like I'm I reading the Omen and all the Omen books and being convinced that somehow I was the Antichrist. And I read the Bad Seed, um, which was also a movie. And I, and I did not relate to that child. I guess I related more to the, the Antichrist than I did to the evil murder child. <laughs> My coworkers all laughing. <laughs> so you were reading a, a lot of these things when you were younger. What was your, did you ever read Stephen King? And, and when was your first Stephen King? I really wish I could remember. I think I read his short stories before I read Salem's Lot. But I remember the most clearest memory of Stephen King that I have is the TV miniseries of Salem's Lot. Mm. And there's a scene in a kitchen in that movie that will scare the pants off you. It was, anyone who's ever seen that miniseries, especially when it first aired, whoo, it it was scary. It was really scary. And so immediately I had to be like, let's go to Octavia Fields and get the book. (laughs) And so, and there was some stuff in the book that, especially as young as I was, really, really went over my head. But I remember uh, Night Shift, which is a series of short stories. I really loved his short stories. Mm. But I remember Salem's Lot. But that really, because that was terrifying miniseries. So, Kimberly, what was your first Stephen King? Well, I have to admit, the first Stephen King experience I had was watching The Shining. I, to this day, have no idea why my dad let me watch that. (laughs) (laughs) At that time, and I mean, a lot of it went over my head. 
a lot of it did. But I actually really do like The Shining. And the new movie that just came out, uh, Doctor Sleep, I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. It is very dark. It's not a movie for Beth, I can tell you that. But the first book I actually read uh, was a dramatized audio version of Pet Cemetery. Mm. And I, mm -hmm. this very much stands out in my memory because I checked it out from the Octavia Fields Library. <laughs> Octavia Fields, you get a big call well, out today. Yeah. It, it was my home library because I lived in Humble. Mm -hmm. And so I checked it out and I was a new driver and it was a CD audiobook. And I got to this really high point and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it turned out I was listening to it on my way to school, driving down 1960. And it was raining. And I think this was really the first time I'd driven in rain. And it was like 6 mm. o'clock in the morning. So it was dark. So I was like already ramped up from being nervous about driving in the rain for the first time in the dark. And listening to this very scary book. And a light turned. And, you know, my natural inclinations to, you know, hit the brakes. But unfortunately, because the road was slick, I slid through the intersection. And then come to find out my best friend was sitting at the light laughing at me because I was so you know, because <laughs> he watched me slide through the intersection. Oh, my. So he made fun of me for that forever. So, yeah, I turned that book off for the rest of that day. Uh, <laughs> it was a little too much. Too intense for the Too moment. intense for that moment. But um, actually, in research to talk about this, I actually looked it up. I don't know how accurate it is. I cannot guarantee accuracy. But I counted 106 movie slash television slash miniseries versions of his books mm -hmm. 106 and some of them are duplicated like it has been made uh once in the 90s and again recently mm -hmm. i have to tell you if you ever watched the uh it original from the 90s i beg of you please pause when they go into the library i want to know who organized their library the dewey decimal system is very messed up <laughs> <laughs> um, the numbers do not match at all. I have major questions about their production team. And every time we come to that scene when we watch the miniseries, I get a little tickled by it. <laughs> um, I would have to say my favorite Stephen King, though, I would definitely not call it a horror. I'm going to call it a time travel. It's 11 mm -hmm. But it's historical fiction, which is what gets me. Mm -hmm. Love, love, love it. I counted out based on the graph I found, how many of the books I've actually read versus how many have been made. Uh, the ones I've read were uh, 1408, obviously 112263, Carrie, Cell, Pet Cemetery, which I mentioned earlier, The Green Mile, which is a short story, uh, Shawshank Redemption, which is a short story based on a completely different title, and The Shining. I did actually read the first Shining book. Cool. And your favorite, you said, was 112263. By now, far. That being a time travel historical fiction one, and I've not read any Stephen King. That's not true. I've read, um, I read the first of the Gunslinger series, and I read part of The Green Mile. But in your favorite one, is there any, like, horror supernatural or is it literally just time travel there is a, a just a tiny bit of supernatural mm. in there because i'm not giving anything away by telling you this at all when the character passes through time it's a hole in a closet this guy figures out and so he tells his friend about it because his goal is to go back in time and prevent the 
assassination of JFK, which happened on November the 22nd, mm-hmm. 1963. But the whole sends you back into, I think, 1961, I believe, is when it goes back. And when you travel through the hole, there's a guy, they call him the yellow card man, who warns you about, you shouldn't be here, this is wrong, you're going to mess with history. And every time the main character tries to mess with history in some capacity, not just when JFK is doing, is involved, but other things he's investigating or he's trying to prevent things that he knows going to happen. Like somebody told him about a murder on a specific day. He tries to prevent it. Time tries to stop him from doing it because it Mm. messes with what happens now. Hmm. So there is a supernatural element. I will not call it a horror by any stretch. Because he doesn't do many end. of those, right? Many yeah, not really. Doesn't. I wouldn't call The Green Mile necessarily a horror no, either. No, not at all. Um, or Shawshank. Mm-hmm. And There's no supernatural or yeah. horror in Shawshank at all, except the final yeah. scene where he escapes. That's horrible, but not horror. Yeah. Right. And that's another thing. It's like the ones that I have read or the ones I'm familiar with. The, it's more a sense of supernatural and not necessarily yeah. what I would term horror but that then gets into the whole genres of horror in which yeah. you have your like your slasher films and your things like the ring yeah. and, paranormal and yeah and all those things, things like that. that were actually like violence done upon people and so my question is for the most part Stephen King, would you actually consider him more of a supernatural author, or he dabbles in kind of a lot of everything? I think he kind of dabbles, but primarily I would say his stuff is supernatural. Mm -hmm. Not so horror. Although, I don't know, I think The Shining, you could say that one Yes, I would say Mm -hmm. definitely. And there's another one he did early on, and I don't know the name of it. I only remember coming across it as I was switching channels. He was in the film, and it was definitely one of those horror kind of wasn't creep creep show was it i think he wrote the anthology some of the at least one of the stories in the anthology the creep show anthology which was a movie that had i think three different segments to it and he was actually in it he played a farmer was yes farmer? that was it then. yes that yes, was creep show okay. yeah creep show was kind of like a, a take on the old horror ec horror comics mm. And he wrote i think he i don't know if he wrote all of it or if he wrote one part of it but it's wonderful and he's He's hilarious. But yeah, a lot of his is supernatural. I mean, Salem's lot is vampires, you know, Carrie, evil teen, me and my evil kids. I loved Carrie. Um, Firestarter is Firestarter. Oh, yeah. Telekinesis. She's their tele. Well, pyrokinesis. 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 Yeah. There's a word for that. Pyrokinesis. I love that book, too. Because I think her dad was actually telekinesis. And then she yes, and she pyro- had pyrokinesis. Yeah. Okay, uh-huh. so I lied. That's another one I did see. Haven't read it, but I've seen that it's one. Because it had Drew good, Barrymore in it. <laughs> it was a good book. I, I think I did see the movie years after the book, but it was a very... I thought the book was actually better than the movie. Now, there was a book I read, and everybody who knows me knows I'm a great big Twilight fan, but I'm not really a vampire fan. I've just... I've mm-hmm. never been able to get into a vampire book, but in this whole trying to get myself into it. We had a book in the library called Nosferatu. And the cover looked really interesting. So I made myself read this book. And the book was written by Joe Hill. And as I'm listening to it, I'm like, this sounds so much like Mm -hmm. Stephen King. King. Why does it sound so much? I figured Mm -hmm. it out. Joe Hill is his son. And so it 
it, it, he writes like his dad. So that told me a lot. Yes. I don't recall really liking Nosferatu <laughs> very much. I made myself finish it, but I didn't care for it. Yeah. You would not like Salem's Lot because, yeah, they're not, they're not lovable vampires. I like good, happy vampires, <laughs> I guess. The sparkly kind. Yeah. Stephen King does appear in a lot of his movies. Does he pull a Stanley? I guess he so. does. Or a Hitchcock. I suppose Hitchcock. more Hitchcock, Hitchcock would be He was that in the second It. The new It. Mm-hmm. He plays the shopkeeper. So, yeah. He does appear in some of them. There were two other shows that I were not on my list, but they are Stephen King. Mm-hmm. One is called The Langoliers. And I remember watching that on TV. Again, I don't know why my parents let me get away with that. But that movie was very frightening. And so recently I used ILL to order that. I got it. And I watched it, and I have so many more questions about it because it was so much weirder than I remembered it being. Really? It was terrible. And then and when I was in high school, another one came out called Rose Red. I oh, quite yes. literally got it on ILL yesterday, and I took it home, and I started watching it last night. I remember that. I, yeah. I remember that, and I, I remember watching it. I don't remember what it was about exactly. The Stand is another one for me that at the time – that it came out, or I actually, at the time it came out, I became aware of it. I can't remember. I was actually taking a genetics class, and I had to write a paper about genetics laboratories and the lax standards for biohazards, like you could get Ebola sent to your level four lab, and your level four lab could be in your basement. And so I was just pleasure reading. I was at uh, Houston Public Library downtown, and I was like, oh, Stephen King. Checked it out. The whole first chapter is about a huge biological, um, you know, stuff getting out of a bio lab. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> never never went past the first chapter of the book because I'm like, oh, this is a little too real for me. I'm not, I can't handle that. You know, when the whole pandemic started, within like, you know, the first couple of days, and we knew we were going to go home. Like the day I was coming home from work, I was remember telling Marion, my husband say, I said, I really don't want to watch anything like into the world-ish or mm-hmm. pandemic-ish. What is the first thing he turns on? Contagion. He, Contagion. <laughs> uh, he's watching 2012, you know, stuff. I'm like, or um, the one where the whole world freezes over. I can't think of the name of it. The Day After Tomorrow, where they're burning all the books in the New York City library. <laughs> like, stop watching these. I can't watch this. This is too real world for me right now. <laughs> I was really reminded of World War Z, the book, not the movie, the Max Brooks book, because it's written like a history. Yes. There's a whole lot in in, of it, in it about CDC guidelines and quarantine and things like that. And so, you know, I was coming home from work and listening to the radio and the news things would come on and they start talking about this. And it would keep echoing back to me because not only have I read the book, but I've also listened to the cast of the, the audio book is a multicast with Mark Hamill and a bunch of other famous people doing the the World War Z audiobook and it was wonderful but it was very it's very much like an oral history it's like a Ken Burns documentary it's wonderful but yeah it was really echoing in my brain of oh my goodness this is just a lot like them talking about CDC procedure and how the in World War Z if you don't know is about zombies and how that started and I was like oh I Am Legend, that's another one. I love Ooh, yes. I Am Legend, but I haven't been able to watch it since the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little too real world for me right now. Yeah. So 
touching on that, I mean, we talk about those particular elements that now are very too kind of too real world. Mm -hmm. Do any of like Stephen King's previous books perhaps actually in a supernatural way talk about real world things? Like, is he touching on things about, you know, real world issues by examining it in an alternate world? And I'm only going to use this example because it, I feel like it would reach more people as comparison, but Avatar and that exploration of, you know, colonialism and and uh, the treatment of indigenous peoples and, and all that, which is kind of the core of what sort of based on, which is the, the name for earth or name for world is tree. I'll have to look up that one, but... Um, the Stephen King movies that I've come across and the books that I've read, I'm not sure they necessarily touch on real world things, except for Carrie, which touches on say, bullying. Um, I was going to say, this, Carrie was the first thing that came to my mind because, you know, in this predating school shootings, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, a, a teenager who's othered and who's bullied and, you know, who gets to the point where she just cracks. And it's very, you know, it has a lot of echoes in all the, you know, Columbine and all the school shootings and things like that. So at the end of it, you know, she's being othered by the people around her. But how does Stephen King treat her at the end? When she, I'm not going to give anything away. Let's just say something happens at the end. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> visually in the movie, it seems to me that he makes her a monster, yes. essentially. Does he do that in some of his other ones where he may be examining elements of society, but then the conclusion is the person is evildoer, the bad? I mean, I don't know. Did he present Carrie as bad at the end or just I I call her a haunter? That's for sure. I think she was a monster that other people created. Mm. I mean, pushed her, you know, pushed her to the point you know, she has these powers, and those powers could have been used for good or for evil or either way. I don't know if it specifically answers your question. Mm-hmm. I have not read the novella. The novella is called The Body. But Stand By Me, I would call that just a straight-up coming-of-age mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing supernatural about it. They're just kind of going on an adventure. Uh, they do get bullied by a gang of, mm-hmm. I don't know, like the outsiders, the greasers, I mm-hmm. guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're bullied by them, but it's really a coming of age mm-hmm. stories. Nobody's really a monster at all. They just kind of learn about each other and go on this grand adventure in the 60s. Yeah. Or 50s. I don't know. I guess it'd be the 50s, technically. Mm-hmm. Outside of Stephen King, your favorite horror film. What is it? Oh my goodness, how do you even throw that at me? Because this mm-hmm. is what I do. Yes, you do. It's hard to pick just one. We went through that whole podcast last year I where know. we talked about that. Which, you know, visit our old podcast if you want to hear many of Kimberly's favorite horror movies. But come Ooh. on, if you had to pick one, there's only one oh, goodness. able to be in your, your personal library. Which one is it? I'm going to have to go with The Ring. The Ring. Yeah, because it, it's the one that stands out in my memory the most. Because it scared the... Mm, out of me. <laughs> Just scared you so much. It your scared hair me rose. bad. And I was in high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was scared of my mm-hmm. TV for a week. <laughs> <laughs> you 
You know, there might be a point for parents. Maybe you should watch <laughs> yes. the ring and then kids won't be on their well, electronics anymore. It doesn't even make sense anymore because it's all based on VHS tapes. And yeah. that was going out when the movie came out. But they have actually had, have had a retro comeback of VHS tapes. Did you have a favorite horror film, Darla? Part of me would love to recommend this, but part of me, I can't stand the director because he's problematic. But Rosemary's Baby is beautiful film, and the book is even better. Ira Levin's books, he wrote Rosemary's Baby and The Stepford Wives, which are both wonderful books. And they actually turned out to be really good movies, too. But uh, it's psychological horror because you don't know what is really happening with Rosemary mm. until the end. And it's a beautifully shot film, Roman Polanski. Not a fan of him anymore. I do not have a favorite horror film because I do not watch them. Nope. Um, although if you ask my daughter, Star Wars is a horror film because Darth Vader is just too scary. Um, <laughs> although we're talking, are we talking straight up horror or straight up horror based on books though? Either one. Straight up horror, I would say, if it's not based on a book, although it might be based on a book, Train to Busan. I don't know that one. It's uh, Korean. Okay. It well, is, that would be why. It is scary. Thank you all for joining me on this conversation of horror. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Copy. Are you ready for book clues? This will be the wrap-up of the series of book clues for a while. We're going to change some things up uh, in the next couple of episodes and try some new elements to our podcast. So last episode's book clues started with this one. Here, Spanish goes to school with English. Aquí, el español va a la escuela con el inglés. Uno, dos, tres, as easy as one, two, three. Uno, dos, tres, y tan fácil como one, two, three. Here, children of all races write beautiful poems. Aquí, niños de todas las razas escriben bellos poemas. In English and Spanish, even in spirals. Tanto en inglés como en español, hasta en espiral. And following the beat of teacher Felipe's clava. Y siguiendo la clave del maestro Felipe. Here, children learn to sing with their hearts. Aquí, los niños aprenden a cantar con el corazón. This poem was owed to Buena Vista Bilingual School by Francisco Alarzón. Here was the next book clue. I'm officially resigning from love. Time in a cell will do that to a kid. For the record, I didn't do it. Well, I didn't mean for what I did to blow up in my face. This should have been the best night of my life. I was going to save the restaurant, save the town, get the girl, make Abuelo proud. I imagined myself riding a tan horse into the summer sunset, swatting any mosquito that tried to sting my awesomeness. Instead, I'm locked in a small room that smells like chorizo and stale popcorn while my arch enemy continues to brainwash the community with reggaeton and free sunscreen. Our young adult book was The Epic Fail of Arturo Zamora by Pablo Cartaya. The author won the 2018 Pura Belpre Author Honor Book. And the final book clue? Many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Aureliano Buindia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. 
At that time, Makondo was a village of 20 adobe houses built on the bank of a river of clear water that ran along a bed of polished stones, which were white and enormous like prehistoric eggs. The world was so recent that many things lacked names, and in order to indicate them, it was necessary to point. Every year during the month of March, a family of ragged gypsies would set up their tents near the village, and with a great uproar of pipes and kettle drums, they would display new inventions. First, they brought the magnet. A heavy gypsy with an untamed beard and sparrow hands, who introduced himself as Melquieres, put on a bold public demonstration of what he himself called the eighth wonder of the learned alchemists of Macedonia. That book was 100 Years of Solitude by Colombian author Gabriel Garcia Marquez. This book came out in 1967, and it has been translated into 46 languages and sold more than 50 million copies. It is widely acclaimed and recognized as one of the significant works in both Hispanic literary canon and in world literature overall. We hope you've enjoyed Book Clues. We will be taking a break from the Book Clues fun and visit again in the future. As we go into October, don't forget to check out our Facebook and Instagram for all the new pictures of Bobtober. That's right. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, Bob is back and he is visiting the library all through October. We have some great programs coming up at Atascacita Branch Library. They are all online currently. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram. You can find our events listed online at hcpl.net. Search events and narrow it down to Atascacita Branch Library to see what's coming up. Yesterday on our social media pages, we shared the pre-recorded video from author Jess Nivens. If you like horror, you'll love this video. Learn a brief history from the author and Lone Star College Tomball librarian Jess Nevins. It was posted October 15th and is available on Facebook and Instagram. Starting October 18th, come to the Atascacita Library or visit us curbside and request the STEM Constellation Craft for ages 8 to 12. In this activity, you will be able to recreate constellations on the openings of Pringles cans. These will act as telescopes in order to replicate what these patterns of stars would look like at night when the stars are visible. Supplies are limited, so that is starting on October 18th, the STEM activity constellation craft. Craft Club for our adults is still online, so come by and pick up a kit to make a fabric pumpkin. The how-to video will premiere on October 19th on Facebook and Instagram TV. Some supplies will be provided by the library, but they are limited. So the kits are available starting on Monday and the video will be posted on the 19th. Just ask a staff member for a craft club kit. All right, teens, what is your favorite creepypasta, no sleep or urban legend? Share Tales of Terror on Discord. For an invite, email atateen at hcpl.net. Now, this program is designed for teens in grades 6 through 12. That's Tales of Terror for our teens on October 21st at 5 p.m. 
we're not going to leave our adults out of the terror. Science on the silver screen is going to visit the Meg. Giant prehistoric shark comes back from the grave and it's going one-on-one -on -one with Jason Statham. Poor shark. Join us as we look at the science behind the movie The Meg. Spoiler alerts! It's a pre-recorded video and it will be posted on our social media pages like Facebook and Instagram. It's going to be posted on Friday, October 29th. So be sure to check it out. That's Science on the Silver Screen, The Meg. Now, all our young readers for ages 8 to 12, registration opened on September 27th for the next The Book Habit. Nightbooks has come to Netflix. Read the book before you watch the movie. This month, we'll be discussing Nightbooks by J.A. White on Zoom. First, register online. Next, come and check out a copy of the book and pick up your craft kit. On the day of the program, you'll receive the Zoom link to the meeting at the email address you provide when you register. That's the book habit. For ages 8 to 12, registration is online and required so you can get that Zoom link. There are so many more great programs coming up in the next couple weeks, including our virtual story times, Tell Me a Tale Tuesday on October 26 at 415 and on October 27th at 10 a.m. is our virtual Tales for Tots. Be sure to register for those so you can get the Zoom link. We also have Anime Jam being posted on our social media on October 29th. And coming up in November, Spice Crew. That's right, we've got more spices for you to discover in your kitchen and some great recipes shared along with a little bit of detail about those spices. And that next Spice Crew is going to come out on November 5th. Thank you for joining us here at Advanced Copy. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to give a like and comment. It helps others find our podcast. Stop by the library. Our hours Monday through Thursday, 10 to 6, Fridays 1 to 6, and Saturdays 10 to 5. And of course, the library is always open at hcpl.net. You can access your account online, even apply for a library card. Thanks again and have a great day. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Copy. Find information on media used and resources mentioned on our podcast webpage. This podcast is produced by the staff of Atascacita Branch Library, a part of the Harris County Public Library System. Funds for the podcast are provided by a grant from Best Buy through the Friends of Atascacita Library. Find out more about this 501c3 organization at full.ws. That's F. O-A-L dot W-S.